Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to just sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Monica Reinagle. She is a registered dietitian who first studied music and was a professional opera singer. And now in her second act, which I love that she referenced it to be that way, she is a culinary trained author of six books, speaker, and a host of two podcasts, and she has her own private practice. So please enjoy my conversation with Monica. Well, Monica, thank you for taking time today to be on the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. I have too. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little intimidated because you are like podcast queen. You've been doing some <laughs> podcasting for quite a while. So, I mean, I'm excited to talk to you and your journey into podcasting, but then all the other things that you have done, which is very vast. Yeah. And, you know, the secret to being a podcast queen is simply to have been doing it longer than anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> you have, you've been doing it for since what, 2008, I think, or nine? We are celebrating our 15th anniversary this oh year. My gosh. And I never imagined when I started doing the Nutrition Diva podcast, which was my first podcast, mm-hmm. that we would still be doing it 15 years later. So no one could be more surprised than me. <laughs> well, I mean, that's not even when podcasts were really like a thing either at the time. You know, now they're way more hip and cool and everybody's got a podcast. So you were like on the total leading edge of it. Yeah. I spent a lot of time trying to explain to my friends and family what a podcast is and where to find it and how to listen. I bet that took a while to get everybody on board, but I'm sure now they all know it's like Absolutely. a breeze for them. They're yeah. educating other people now. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get to all that stuff, but I thought it would be great to kind of get to the start of when Monica kind of got interested in dietetics or what kind of led you to the field? I had a, a somewhat circuitous path. And knowing that that's where you like to start your interviews, I was actually thinking back and I remembered something that I hadn't thought about in a long time, which was when I was a very little girl, I thought I wanted to be in the medical profession. I like, I thought I might be a nurse. And I remember I, um, you know, I used to read my aunt's nursing magazines and I imagined myself as a nurse. But once I got to high school, I got interested in singing and music and I eventually decided that I wanted to major in music. And that's what I did. I went to college, majored in voice, um, continued on for graduate school and ended up spending about 10 years working as a professional singer in classical music and opera, which I know oh is a gosh. very unconventional start to <laughs> yes. This. And then, so nutrition and dietetics is actually my second act. I got to the point in my early 30s where I realized that the lifestyle that goes with being a full-time performing artist maybe wasn't sustainable for me. And I started to think about other career options. And that old fascination with health kind of came back to the surface. But now I found, or then I found myself more interested in sort of food and nutrition as the, the angle. So I went back to school. First, I went to culinary school. And then I went back to graduate school and got a a master's in human nutrition and launched my act too. 
Oh my God. Well, that's a, that is like a whole other career. <laughs> that's like a whole other career. So you were a professional, I mean, professional sing, opera singer, correct? That's right. Yes. Okay. And I mean, tell me, I mean, that had to be a very intense job as far as, you know, like you were talking about sustainability and that type of stuff. So that had to be very time consuming. It was time consuming. It was sort of emotionally consuming. There's a lot of rejection involved when you're a performing artist because you're constantly auditioning and trying to get roles and trying to get jobs. So there's mm. that kind of stress. Um, I loved it, but it it wasn't going to sustain me for my life. I wasn't going to be a big enough star to actually earn enough money being an opera sing- being just mm. an opera singer. Um, and I started to see that writing on the wall and. And of course, you know, many people in that profession do end up pivoting and segueing into different careers. And I always felt so lucky that I had this other thing that was really interesting to me mm-hmm. and that I turned out to have a fair amount of affinity for. So when I decided to pick a new career, it wasn't just, well, do I want to be a massage therapist or a real estate mm-hmm. broker? It was like, no, there's this other thing I really want to learn about and and gain expertise in. And I will say that having all of that experience as a performing artist came in handy uh, when when my podcasting career began because I had a lot of experience using my voice professionally and presenting, you know, and, and being, sure. um, you know, a, a performer. And there's a way, you know, in which um, podcasters are kind of performers. So, th- so I, I like to think that that training didn't go completely to waste. Oh, absolutely not. I think about when I listen to your podcast, your voice, it's so like, it's soothing. Like it actually makes me like so relaxed. Like I will be in my car and I'll listen Uh-oh. to your podcast <laughs> and I get too relaxed because your voice is so, that's not good voice. It's not good, but it is, I need to probably listen to your podcast when I'm home and not when I'm driving, but <laughs> at the gym, that's the, that's the, the prime there time. You go. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so culinary, how did culinary become, how did that, I mean, obviously there's a love for food in there mm-hmm. too, before you went to like the nutrition side. So where did that kind of play in for you? Well, the nutrition was already on my radar screen. I knew that that's where I wanted to head as a profession, but I thought it, well, two things. I thought it would be really fun to combine real training and expertise in the science of food and the culinary arts with the science of nutrition. That just sounded like fun. Mm -hmm. But there was a more practical reason too. When I made up my mind to go back to school and I submitted my applications, I missed the deadline for to start one year. I was going to have to sit out, you know, until it was time for the next incoming class. And also because my previous degrees were in music, I did have some prerequisites to take care of. I hadn't had a big science curriculum. So I did have a bunch of prerequisites to take. So anyway, I could see that there was going to be a a long time before I would actually be able to begin that career. And the culinary training just fit that gap so nicely. And it made me feel like I was on the path. I'd already begun my training, even while I was waiting for that next incoming class time to start for nutrition. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, that all kind of goes together, too, for sure. I like that bridging that you did with those those two schooling options. Um, so when you got into nutrition, and were you like, yes, this feels like home? This is what, like, the, the piece that's been missing? Did it always feel like the right fit for you? 
I did enjoy it so much. I, I really enjoyed going back to school in my 30s. Not everybody gets a chance to do that. Most of us spend most of our time in school when we're teenagers and in our early yes. 30s. It's different when you're older. I found it to be very fun. I like I enjoyed researching and writing the papers, which I cannot say I did <laughs> when I was in high school. Um, so So that was fun. But I also had already scoped out for myself uh, the areas that I wanted to work in once I had graduated. I didn't see myself going into clinical practice, working in a hospital, or doing medical nutrition therapy as a career path. I knew I wanted to work in media and communications. So I was starting to try to make those connections and line up those opportunities. And uh, and that's where I ended up spending, have spent most of my professional energy is in creating the podcast that I do. I have two podcasts now. We could talk about that in a minute. Yes. Um, and I've worked uh, as the nutrition director for some large nutrition-oriented websites and yeah, done a lot of that kind of writing and giving interviews and doing television and radio. So that that was what excited me was being able to translate that information and that expert expertise into usable insights for for everybody else. Because I see and you see and all nutrition professionals see a lot of confusion and misinformation and disinformation about nutrition in the public sphere. And I, I wanted to be in a position to clear some of that up and make it a little bit simpler and be able to get really good, solid, evidence-based recommendations out to the public. Well, and, and like you said, you've done that through a couple podcasts, but you also have your own business where you're a speaker, you're an author. I mean, yeah. what don't you do? You have an app, <laughs> you have, I mean, you have all the things. So maybe kind of take me through that timeline of how that progressed for you as far as your kind of your pri your private practice, which is a little bit non-traditional than what other dietitians might think it is, but doing the speaking route, doing the being an author route, doing the podcast route. Yeah, the you know, writing the books kind of uh, emerged out of creating so much content for online uh, outlets, websites, and the podcast, you know, the putting that down in writing and publishing it between covers that seemed to make sense. But the, the nutrition counseling that I've done and the coaching programs that I've developed and even the app that you mentioned, that kind of developed out of just over the years interacting with the people that were commenting on my blogs and emailing in response to my podcast episodes and hearing the kinds of questions that they were asking and and the things that they were struggling with. And I found myself kind of trying to develop tools and programs that would answer those needs. And so that that is actually how the app was born. That was um, a little tool that I developed to help the people that I was coaching make sustainable changes to their eating habits and give them an alternative to apps like um, MyFitnessPal or something where you mm -hmm. where you track everything that you eat. A lot of people use that app to try to manage or gain insight about their diet. And it, it can be helpful, but then people feel sort of chained to it. It's a, it's a big burden to have to try to log everything that you eat. Yes. You're afraid if they stop, they won't have the feedback or the kind of accountability around it. So the app was really a way to give people 
a simple tool that they could use to kind of monitor and nudge their eating habits in a healthy direction without that burden of having to open up an app and write down every single thing there, look it up and try to pick the right entry and estimate what was in the soup that they ate. Try to make that a little bit simpler um, and more sustainable over time. So the app was really my attempt to solve a problem that I saw in the people that I was working with. I think that's a great point for like dietitians. You know, there's so many tools out there, but that doesn't mean that the tool that is needed isn't already doesn't already exist. So like you saw a need and you obviously worked with someone to help or do or do, are you into computer programming too? Which you might be, or like, you know, that oh, kind of no. stuff. Okay. No. I didn't know. <laughs> no, no. I and actually well and I, I should say the name of the app if people are curious. It's called yes, the Nutrition GPA. That's what you'll find it in the app stores, Nutrition GPA. And that stands for grade point average. And when you check it out, you'll understand why it's it's kind of a fun little take on it. But no, I absolutely had to work with a developer to make that happen. And, um, and I've actually worked with three different developers over the years. I think that app debuted eight or 10 years ago. And so it's been through several iterations. Um, the most recent of which is just two or three years old. And I'm so excited about this latest iteration of the Nutrition GPA app. It's really kind of, it's grown up. <laughs> it's a grown up love app it. now. And I loved the developers that I worked with on that, but no, and that's way outside my okay. skill set. Okay, well, I wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if you were, if that was part of your no, no, repertoire. No. So, <laughs> but that's good to know that there is like, you know, again, like if you see a need, don't be scared to create the the solution for your patients. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, I mentioned before I have two podcasts and the second yes. podcast is sort of a similar situation. So both my, my first podcast is called the nutrition diva. That's the one that I've been doing since 2008. And it really does focus on the science of food and nutrition. We talk a lot about the new, the, the headlines that are coming out, new research trends when everybody gets all excited about some. <laughs> Dietary trend, yeah, Uh, or new dietary approach, you know, the ketogenic Mm -hmm. or the intermittent intermittent fasting. So my podcast is very agnostic about all of that. I don't back any particular horse. I just want to give people a way to evaluate what they're hearing and decide how it might apply to them. Mm -hmm. But the scope of that podcast is pretty focused on nutrition. And yet, as I said, when I have been working with people doing one-on-one nutrition counseling and nutrition coaching and in some of the group programs that I've developed, I realized that when people come looking for nutrition advice or nutrition information, so often they kind of know what they need to be doing. Their problem, they just don't know how to get themselves to do it. And so I found that so much of the struggle was not to was not needing to know what to eat. It was more understanding what drove their behaviors and their choices and how to get them to align better with what they wanted and the outcomes that they wanted to create. That's not really nutrition science anymore. That's really mm-hmm. behavioral science. And and that was where the second podcast was born. It's called the Change Academy. And it's really a place to dig into that. Um, I'm fascinated by this area as some, as a human who has behaviors. <laughs> sure, we all do. <laughs> fascinated by the science of 
behavior change and behavior in in general, what motivates us, what causes us to do or not do certain things? Why do we sometimes seem to get in our own way? What makes behavior change sustainable and what undermines that? I feel like I want to understand that as much for my own health behaviors as I do to help the people that I serve. So I love that area. And the Change Academy was a place to explore that, the art and science science of behavior change, whether that's uh, for individuals, people working to make changes in their own lives, but also professionals who are working to create positive behavior change in organizations or communities. So the public health people, the workplace well-being professionals, that's all their wheelhouse as well. I will say, I, I think that podcast is awesome because I, I listened to the episode of Law of Subtract, like your Law of Subtraction. <laughs> you know, like that kind of stuff is, I feel like, is so important for dietitians to understand that be like, and we didn't get that training. We didn't get the behavior training. Exactly. I really resonate with that. I mean, I love your other podcast too, but like from my perspective, I would say that podcast has been very beneficial for me to work with my clients. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. And I think you're right. The stuff we talk about on the nutrition diva podcast is probably much more familiar to nutrition professionals. They already have that insight, that information, but like me, a lot of us are struggling on how to help our patients or our clients make the changes that they've identified that they want to make. And yeah, and it's great to have another place to to dig around in that sandbox. <laughs> That's a really good way of putting it, for sure. I will, and we will link, I will link all of this in the show notes for people that are listening today to, you know, get in touch with that podcast too, and, and as well as your app as well. Thank you. Um, yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm still amazed of the time you have for all of these things that you're doing as well. Um, and then you also kind of have, like you said, your own private practice as far as working with clients and some of the programs that you've developed. So maybe share a little bit more about what kind of what's your passion and what do you like to do as far as developing programs? The programs again, were an attempt to solve problems that I saw people having. So, uh, and I have done um, a fair amount of one-on-one nutrition counseling, but I really enjoy group coaching. I find that to be such a powerful container for change, like bringing together a small group of people, maybe 30, 40 people at a time who have a common goal, whether it's to improve their eating habits or for many of them, uh, their goal is to either lose some weight or just find a more sustainable way to manage their weight without feeling like they're just constantly on this sort of dieting cycle. Like, is there another way to do that? So for people that have that common goal, bringing them together and then developing a curriculum that that they can work through as a group. And the reason I think I like the group coaching so much is what it makes possible for those individuals. First of all, you see that you're not alone. There are other people that have similar sorts of challenges and experiences. And so it's a lot less isolating to realize like, oh, I see, I'm not the only person who struggles after 8 p.m. to kind of stick to what I had decided I wanted Mm -hmm. to do or whatever. I'm not the only person who goes home for the holidays and finds myself just completely reverting into old bad habits that are not part of my my current daily life, you know, like the, the things that we share. And I think also it allows people when when they're in a group 
where there's trust and there's intimacy, I try to create a forum where it's private enough that people feel safe in kind of revealing some, so we're not doing this in some public Facebook forum or something. It's in a, it's in a, it's in a more private setting so that people feel comfortable opening up. And I've also seen that when people are put in a position where they can offer support to a peer, somebody else who's working on a similar problem, so often, I bet you've seen this too, they're able to access a level of compassion and Mm -hmm. even wisdom for someone else that they're not always able to access for themselves. But, you know, having an opportunity to offer that to someone else kind of opens that up for them. I, I feel like I see people saying things or maybe typing things into a forum that are really smart and really helpful and that I bet they didn't realize they knew until they offered it to someone else. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. I feel like they, and I feel like in that space, there's just, I don't know, sometimes I think people are sad when they're not part of that space anymore because it became such a great place for them just to be who they are. It, well, that would explain why nobody ever leaves my group. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you, I'm like, do people, do you have a lifelong group available? Well, I didn't clients? <laughs> mean to, but when I, so I have two main programs. One is just a 30 day program that's just really tackling daily eating habits. How can we make them healthier in a way that is sustainable. And that is really organized around that nutrition GPA concept. It just gives it a little bit more support and context and help, you know, help implementation with, with the app. Um, So that's just 30 days. The weight management and weight maintenance program is a much longer program because that's really a long-term challenge. I wanted to make sure that people were, were making a a commitment long enough for them to really get the results that they wanted to get. So that's a year long program. And in both cases, I had designed this, these programs to be terminal. It's like, I think I can give you everything I need to give you in 30 days or in the other case in a year. And in both cases, when we started to get to the end, people were like, but we don't want, we want to stay together. (laughs) And so both of them now do have sort of alumni associations where the people that have been through those programs can stay in contact and continue to share the tools and the support. People have feel like they've gotten to know one another and they have this shared vocabulary and, uh, and these shared challenges. So, so yeah, both of those programs have developed a very long tail. (laughs) People who are still engaged uh, with, me and with each other. And yeah, it's very heartening. I feel like I've known some of these people. I have known some of these people for years and years and years, and they, they feel like friends. Yes. Well, that lends to you being a great, you're doing a great job too. Like people are learning from you and they're getting what they need from your information that you're providing. You know, I'm just trying to ratchet down the crazy (laughs) because it tends to right in our, in our profession, there is a fair amount of crazy out there. And, and so creating a space where we can just kind of take the drama down a little bit, try to keep everything in perspective, focus on the things that really matter and not get in the weeds with details or preliminary studies or whatever it is, super nutrient of the week, um, that is very distracting and very overwhelming, but just trying to keep it simple and effective. And yeah, maybe that, (laughs) maybe that once you get used to that, you don't want to go back out into the crazy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's every day is Mm -hmm. something. 
bonkers. Yeah. So maybe share with me, since you are doing so many things, how do you kind of balance your day? Like what does a normal, typical day look like for you when you're doing two podcasts, you're mm-hmm. running group coaching? I mean, mm-hmm. that's a lot for someone to balance. It is. I mean, when I look at my colleagues though, who are you know, clinicians, they have very long days too. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm <laughs> any kind of hero here. Um, but certainly, you know, managing time and deadlines is a challenge, especially for business owners. You know, if you're a small business owner, you're running a, a private practice or any kind of small business or one person business, that's the big challenge, How, right? How do I manage my time, get it all done, get the most important things done first? Mm-hmm. And I've tried a lot of different approaches and systems and kind of settled into uh I don't know, a, a, a practice of how I keep my calendar. I do use sort of a project management tool called Asana. There's a lot of different ones mm-hmm. um, that I can keep all of my different projects and and deadlines organized and also collaborate with my virtual assistant or my producer or whoever else is involved, my developer for the app, whoever else mm-hmm. is involved with the program. So we can all kind of stay on the same page. And I guess my schedule ends up getting organized around my scheduled sessions. If I'm meeting with my groups or with individuals, of course, they come first. Then um, whatever deadlines I have, I have to deliver those podcasts on a certain schedule. And so I protect that time that I need to write and record, edit and record those podcasts. Um, And having done it for so long, I have a really good sense of how long that's going to take me so I can be realistic (laughs) about how much time I need to allow for that. And then all the other little stuff. And there is, you know, kind of a lot of bits and pieces to running a a, a business kind of flows in around the, uh, around the edges, but it's definitely been a learning process. I feel like I've matured a lot just as a business owner. Um, in, especially in the last five years, I think that was those were some of the last skills for me to master. You know, first was the sort of topic expertise, and then was the task expertise. How do you, how do you do a podcast? How do you you know do all of mm-hmm. these? How do you run a session? How do you how do you manage a, a Zoom webinar? You know, all of that. And the last piece for me to put in place has been how do you actually operate a business in in a sustainable way that doesn't leave me totally depleted that mm. is that I can count on you know sure that that covers you know what I need it to cover as an individual and you know in my household so I'm still learning that and and for me one of the big keys to that if if some of your listeners are in a similar situation where they are entrepreneurs or solopreneurs or running private practices is building a network of other people who are who are in similar kinds of businesses that you can reach out to not just for support and advice and ideas but just for personal support and interaction so building that network you know people like you and 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 the other people that I've learned met along this way nurturing those connections and reaching out and saying, hey, let's have a virtual coffee. I feel like I haven't heard what you've been mm-hmm. up to in a little while. And and really making sure that those friendships, those professional friendships are are nurtured and and knowing that that's a good use of my time. 
that's something that I can afford to make time for in my week because it not only makes me a little happier and a little bit more connected, but it actually makes my business stronger. I love that. I was just talking to someone about that this week about how we have all these personal relationships, but those professional ones, like I never thought about like having a virtual coffee. What a great idea. (laughs) Like we could totally do that now, right? Oh, and I hope we will, you know, and, uh, and I have a list of people that, that I will reach out to, or they'll reach out to me. And maybe it's every couple of months, mm-hmm. 30 minutes, little virtual coffee and, uh, and just get caught up in each other's lives and each other's businesses. And what that makes possible, of course, is for us to support each other. You know, so if I'm talking to somebody that might be a good fit for conversations with Anne Elizabeth, I could say, hey, you should send her an email and see if there's a fit there. Or you might think of somebody that would be interested in what I'm doing. But that only happens if we stay in touch and up to date right. on what we're working on. Right. I love that. So I'm hoping- it's a very good message. <laughs> <laughs> so so if, if I did my job right after this episode airs, I'm going to get a whole slew of virtual coffee invitations from... I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. Because I mean, if nothing else, they're got to be curious about, you know, just about how you're, how you've made success of all the things that you do. And that's what I love about this podcast, because everybody's doing such great things. And at least one person's going to go, Ooh, I want to do what Monica's doing. So I need to talk to her. (laughs) Right. And I'm always so interested to know how other people are are putting Mm -hmm. it together and what resources they found to be most useful or, or, you know, who they found to be really influential. It's, it's always a two-way conversation, I find. For sure. For sure. Oh, my gosh. I will have to ask. So we talked just a little bit about your your first podcast is 15 years this yeah. year, which is amazing. And I mean, you it's kind of a little bit of a different kind of platform than your your own podcast that you have, right? So is it with a company that you podcast for and then you provide the content or maybe share a little bit about that? Absolutely. I was so lucky in that first podcast because I knew nothing about podcasting, but I partnered with Macmillan Publishers had started a podcast network and they were really of the traditional book publishers. They really blazed the trail in this area in, in supporting a podcasting network. And they were bringing in people that had expertise in old, it's called the Quick and Dirty Tips Network. And that's a supported by Macmillan Publishers. And they were bringing in experts in a whole variety of different areas, parenting, psychology. Um, there was a lot of education focused ones. So the, the very first one, the flagship was Grammar Girl by Mignon Fogarty. Mm. Um, relationships, uh, there's a manners uh, podcast, you know, science and math, really interesting, eclectic team, but all of the podcasters were subject experts and we are responsible for producing the content, but we had the support of Macmillan who you know, would, would t- takes care of the audio production and figured out how to get it up onto the web, you know, the interwebs yeah. <laughs> so that people could listen to it. And, and they also, that podcast is supported by sponsorship uh, ads and they take care of all of that. So what a, you know, what a terrific thing to stumble into because I would never have been able to figure all of that out. <laughs> sure, But to be able to just focus on, all right, let me just write the best content that I can and have an editor to help me shape that content and have them kind of managing the business. So that is what happens with the Nutrition Diva. I'm one of many podcasts in that network and truly an 
that is what allowed the Nutrition Diva podcast to become the platform that it is, you know, the, the power of that marketing and that reach and that industry presence allowed that podcast to really kind of break through in a way that I'm not sure it would have if it had just been me. And they've been just so wonderful and so supportive. I can't say enough about my team at McMillan. The Change Academy podcast, as you said, though, that was a little solo project and it was sort of a pandemic baby. I mean, I had kind of had it in my mind, like, I wish we had a place to talk about behavior change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the pandemic was like, all right, it, if, you know, it's now or never. So it's about three years old, a little bit over three years old. And that one, we self-produce. My co-host on that show is Brock Armstrong. He has an audio production background. He's also a fitness professional. Mm-hmm. and similarly fascinated by behavior change. He's done a lot of training in cognitive behavior theory. It's a practitioner there, so it's a good fit. And uh, and so we work on that together and, and Brock takes care of some of that production technical stuff that I still don't know that much about. Although <laughs> I'm better. Okay. I'm better than I used to be. <laughs> it's a lot. And we work together on that. So there's no sponsorship dollars. We do not run advertising in that podcast. We do use it though as a way to connect with the people who are interested, who might be interested in working with us, whether mm-hmm. that's organizations that might want to bring us in to do corporate wellness programming with their employees or their staff or individuals who might be interested in one of our programs. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a place for them to get to know us better, get to trust that we know what we're talking about, maybe try some of the things that we're suggesting and based on that, think, yeah, I want to take this relationship to the next level. So without those sorts of programs that we offer, that that podcast wouldn't make as much sense. It would really just be, sure. um, you know, an, an expense <laughs> with no yes. with nothing to yeah. offset it. Um, and that would be sad because I really love to do it. So I'm glad that I can justify doing it <laughs> because sure. It, it, sure. it serves a purpose in my business. Um, but but aside from that, I also just find that super satisfying. So is that kind of what you yes. meant? Yes. The podcast? Yeah. And that's what I, I think it's always good. Like if people feel that tug to like, you're mentioning how it, you know, you're passionate about the topic. It's something that you enjoy doing. Like mm-hmm. maybe it doesn't bring you in millions and millions of dollars, but it's something that you're offering, you're educating, and you're also getting some ROI just in a different way. Yeah, there's a lot of ways to measure return on investment. So if people are thinking about blogging or podcasting or, or whatever, um, you know, you certainly want, you want to be able to cover your costs. But um, yeah, we can measure ROI in so many different ways besides just, you know, dollars in the door or advertising dollars. But it is a much different vibe than a podcast that, you know, has, that's running ads. And, um, you Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's more, a little bit more like a personal conversation like this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like you and your co-host do it. You guys are, you can tell you're very, you do it very well together. Your back and forth is just seamless. So it sounds very comfortable. It is. And you know, he's 3000 miles away from me on the West Coast. <laughs> is he really? Yes. I'm on the East Coast. He's on the West Coast, which is probably the key to our long friendship. Right Maybe. <laughs> those miles keep you separated. But again, <laughs> we can connect so well over those thousands of miles, can't we? Isn't that amazing? It is. It really is. Well, is there anything in the future that you have planned that you wanted to share with the audience? I am. Not that you have to, because you have a lot going on. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm, I am kind of 
um, in a process right now of rethinking how we are offering the the weight management and the weight maintenance program. And I think we are going to be maybe changing up how we do that a little bit. So I'm not quite ready to talk about what that's going to be like, because I'm still sure. figuring it out. <laughs> but yes, totally but it's a great opportunity now that we've been doing it for six years to take a look at what we've learned and how we might be able to do it better. So I am actually kind of deep into that sort of iteration process right now with the, with the way less program, but um, keeping everything going in the meantime. Wow. I appreciate, I mean, when I, when you can, you and I connected, I was just kind of like, I know her. And then I was like, oh my gosh, she does this. Oh my gosh, she does this. So. I oh, mean, and you I, know what? <laughs> and it was on a virtual coffee date that the, the RD that I was talking to said, you need to email Ann Elizabeth. Oh and get gosh, on because so I funny. love her podcast. I listen to it all the time Aww. and she needs to interview on her podcast. So there you go. Proof of concept. <laughs> love it. I love it. This is very inspiring for me to, I'm going to, you know, like sometimes maybe in that whole like project managing thing, it's like, you do need to schedule in some things like that. So I need to do a better thing, better job of kind of doing those kind of things in my day to day too. So I think you would really enjoy it. I think so. I think so. Well, I appreciate you asking all the easy questions. Are you ready for the hard questions? Okay, I'm ready. All right. Share with me some foods that you enjoy. Well, as I said, I live on the East Coast in the Mid-Atlantic, and we live in a region where figs grow. Oh. And we have our very own fig tree, which is now mature enough to to produce figs. And last year, it was hundreds and hundreds of figs. So <laughs> I know it was very exciting because, um, you know, we nursed it along that first year when we got like three. And yes. then there was the year we got four. And last year, boy. So hundreds. That, that season doesn't start for a couple of months, but the but our little fig tree is starting to put out its leaf. So I'm already mm-hmm. excited about the fresh figs. I mean, they really don't get any fresher. Go out every morning and pick them off the tree and slice them up and put them in yogurt. So that's one of that my favorites. That is heavenly. How I'm <laughs> jealous. That is sounds wonderful. I, I know I'd that. send you some, except they do not travel well. That's no. one of the great things about growing your own figs because boy, and they, they have a shelf life of about 15 minutes. Oh yeah. They're kind of like avocados. It's like one a minute, they're good. One minute, they're not. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> What about scents or smells that you enjoy? I am currently obsessed <laughs> with rose essential oil. And Ooh. I've been, I have a little atomizer that I fill up with essential oil from, from rose petals. And I put it in my suitcase. And when I get to my hotel rooms, Ooh. when I'm traveling, I just kind of spritz my room. And then every time I walk into my hotel room, instead of feeling like, Oh, I'm in a weird hotel yeah. room, I'm just kind of like, Oh, I love that smell. So I have a little rose aroma obsession going on right now. That is such a great idea. I'm going to steal that from you. That Please do. Amazing. I mean, you might have a different fragrance that you prefer. Sure. I got to say it, just you smell as soon as you open the door. I always yes. imagine the, the housekeeping staff coming in and saying, wow, this room smells so good. <laughs> yeah. What? What? Who cleaned this room? Nobody. Yeah. I brought my own. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. It doesn't smell like, you know, a candle <laughs> or perfume. It just smells yes. like rose petals. I love it. Highly recommended. I like that. Uh, what about beverages that you enjoy? Oh, I have another kind of current obsession. Have you tried these hop flavored soda waters? I have. I just tried from the other day, actually, just like oh Sunday. They're my. delicious. They are amazing. So I had had 
um, a lot of non-alcoholic beers, which have really gotten so, so much better over the last mm-hmm. three or four years. There's a lot of craft breweries that are now making non-alcoholic beers. And I tried all of those. But this is actually, well, you've had it, but if your listeners haven't, it's really just carbonated water with a pretty substantial hop flavor. So if you don't like hoppy beers, you wouldn't like this. Mm-hmm. But it's so clean and so dry and it, no calories, no, you know, it's, oh, I just love it. It's so refreshing. I'm, I'm almost looking forward to the hot weather because now I have my hop splash. I love it. Well, and I was, I was trying it because I was doing a class on non-alcoholic beverages or were you? part of a class. Yes. You were teaching it, it or, or attending yes, it? Yes, teaching it. Cause we were trying to find like, cause that's very trendy right now is, yes. non, you know, mocktails and non-alcoholics. So we were trying to go through different things out there that are kind of new and trending. And that was one of them. I'm like, well, I have to try it before I recommend it. And they are delicious. It's a winner. Okay. So I have to ask, did you find a non-alcoholic wine that you actually can recommend? Cause I've kissed a lot of frogs. I have too. I I don't I don't really like. Nothing I mean, came I, out of that. The okay. last one I kind of tried was free, and that I think it's how you use F R E. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've that seen one that. Isn't, it isn't bad. <laughs> That's about the best you can say, isn't it? <laughs> Compared to some of the other ones, I would say that would be the one I would choose for someone that would be looking for a non-alcoholic wine. Yeah, yes. I'm kind of waiting for the vintners to catch up with the brewers because I feel yes. like the, the brewers have really lapped them here. Probably, yeah. And yes. clearly yeah. there's a market for it. So there come is. on, vintners. There is. I'm, they're work, you know they're working on it right now. So. Hopefully, yes. Hopefully. <laughs> if there was someone that you could sit down and have a coffee or a meal that's living or non-living, who would be someone you'd want to share that with? Okay. I had to give this one some thought. I know that you, because I've listened to your podcast, I know that you often ask this at the end of interviews and I really had to think about this one for a long time. And I was trying to think of somebody living because I thought it increased the chances that maybe it would happen. Oh, yeah. You know, like, I don't know how much influence you have, but I thought I mean, I you never know. somebody living, maybe there'd be a chance that it could be a dream come true. But I finally settled on somebody who is no longer living. Wouldn't it be fun to have a drink or dinner with Julia Child? Oh, Yes. I mean, what a, an extraordinary human being, you know, and, and just such a real and relatable person and, you know, kind of a giant, kind of a legend, but I still feel like she'd be so fun to have dinner with. Oh, just her personality alone. Yes. Even if she would be talking about like paint drying, I would be enthralled. I'd be like, tell me more. <laughs> right. Or just like, I'd go to, I'd go through a fast food drive through with Julia Child, just to, oh. just to sit next to her and eat French fries in the car and hear what she had to say about that. Oh, I love that. I'm picturing you now with her. <laughs> Me and Julia. Yes. Oh my gosh, that would be great. <laughs> She'd what be up great... for it, I think. See, that's, she would. that's what I yes. love about her. Yeah. I think you're right. And do you sure. know that there is an opera about her? No. Had yes. no idea. It is. It's a one-woman opera. This is really off topic for your podcast, but it's a one-woman opera. And it is set to the transcript of one of her cooking shows in which she shows how to make a chocolate cake. So the text that you're singing is by Lee Hoiby. And the text that you're singing is actually what she was saying in her show. It's hysterical. And you actually make the cake on stage during the opera. No way. How fun is that? That is very, I'm writing this down. I always have <laughs> notes. I always have notes when I have my podcast because I always hear about such amazing things. Okay. Writing that down. That's amazing. Love it. Um, okay. Last question. What brings you joy in life? 
Well, again, this is um, sort of specific to this time of year, but I have a tiny little vegetable garden next to my house. It's about 100 square feet, so very small. Mm-hmm. And and I live in a city, so this is kind of an urban vegetable garden. And I get so much joy out of tending that little garden and growing my little garlic bulbs and my radish. And I'm not even a terribly good gardener. I have a lot of fails. <laughs> um, although if you're a plant auditioning for my garden, like you only get two shots. And if you disappoint me twice, you are <laughs> stricken, right? But the ones that do well for me, I come back to you over and over again. And there's just, it's just so pleasurable. It's one of the few times in my day when I feel like the inner monologue about everything I need to do and what's next and everything that's happening stops and I just dig around and talk to the worms and, you know, mm-hmm. thin my arugula. And it's just, it's so pleasurable for me. So that season is just starting. In fact, I was just out there watering my radish seeds before I came in to talk with you. Aww. Gosh, you have figs, you have fresh produce. It sounds like I live on an estate or something. I mean, (laughs) well, you know what? You have those, it doesn't have to be huge. Like you said, little things like that can just be so joyful. Little pocket garden. Yep. I love that. Aw, well, Monica, this was a lovely conversation. Thank you so much for sharing um, your journey and all the things that you're doing. And again, I'll link all of those links in the show notes to your podcast plural and your app and also your weight management website as well it was such a pleasure and you're so good at what you do it's just so much fun to have a conversation with you so thank you for having this podcast and for letting me be on it oh i am very honored i'm still in awe i think if you listen to the podcast you know how much i love monica's voice she has just got this buttery dreamy voice that I just I love listening to and I have listened to her podcast the nutrition diva for quite a long time which is very interesting that it's a 15 year podcast which I think is amazing I also really enjoy her change academy podcast I think it's one of those podcasts that taps into behavior change and I think that's something we all need to need as dietitians is to learn more about that for ourselves and for our clients so kudos to her for all the things that she's doing in the dietitian world and how she's pioneered so many aspects of things that I'm interested and hopefully that you're interested in too make sure to go over to the show notes and follow her on her podcast but then also check out her app and also check out her waylist community Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.